0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me Elaine Pringles-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. My guest today left me with a dilemma of what I should highlight about her work, her achievements and her life, a big dilemma. Unfortunately this is a 40 minutes episode give or take so I've had to narrow it down to a few of her accomplishments Needless to say, it will be an interesting conversation. Here's a snippet before our sponsor's message. She is a Global Goodwill Ambassador, a thought leader, an author, recently named one of the 100 women to watch in 2020 for FTSE's 350 boards. She serves on several boards and advisory committees and has initiated over one billion pounds in new commercial opportunities when she worked as a Global Executive Director for a leading healthcare organization. We will get into that right after our sponsors' messages. PWG, Professional Women's Group, is an international career network for women in Zurich, Switzerland. We connect women with a mutual interest in developing professional connections, shaping careers, exchanging cultural experiences, and learning trends in the professional environment. Visit us and get in touch at pwg.zh.com.
1: Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.
0: Delance Switch Watches, an ode to femininity. Created in 1996 by Giselle Ruffer, Delance makes and sells prestige Switch watches created exclusively for women. A symbol of femininity, the Delance watch is immediately recognizable by its diamond shaped case. Starting with the basic design, it is delicately tailored to reflect the unique personality of the woman who wears it. A Delance timepiece is a taliswoman for women everywhere who takes their own destiny in hand. Visit us at www.delance.com.
1: Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter.
0: Essentially Lily, as naturally as you. The only Lily uses her personal experience holistic education to create the range of skincare products. The Swiss brand focuses on resolving skincare concerns like eczema, acne, and psoriasis. The products are made with love using only 100% all naturally sourced ingredients. Get your confidence today. www.essentiallylily.com
1: Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.
0: OTGA Management Consultancy works with clients to deliver exceptional results. The services are strategy and business planning, change management, strategic partnerships and alliances, data analytics for efficiency and growth, and development of white papers. Get in touch at www.otgaconsultancy.com.
1: Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.
0: Giselle Abam is a multi-award winner, a global goodwill ambassador, the chair of the British Science Association and the recent winner of the Black British Business Person of the Year Award. Having held a number of directorial and executive positions, Gisela has left a mark in the business world, one in particular when she was the global executive director for GE Healthcare, a newly created role where she was tasked to design and execute. As a leader for this pioneering team, she was responsible for the strategic direction of government affairs and policies for the $18 billion business unit that was created to provide transformational medical technologies in over 100 countries. She has worked in collaboration with many governments and known health organizations, and we will touch upon this in the course of this discussion. Nearly 50 white paper publications to her name on various public policy issues. Gisela is an ardent writer, and is sought after in the speaking circuit at international conferences and gatherings. This is how she tackles global challenges through policy. Her commitment to use her skills, experience and influence to make changes is evident in her actions and leadership. She's the founding chair of DITA, Global Health Working Group, which is the Global Diagnostics, Imaging, Healthcare, IT and Radiation Therapy Trade Association. And incidentally, this represents over 600 companies and is focused on working with the World Bank and the World Health Organization. There is a lot more I could add. But for the time being, and without further ado, it is my honour to welcome Gisela to Talk. Many thanks for being with us today, Gisella.
1: Thank you, Elaine. Hello. Nice to be here with you today.
0: Nice to virtually meet. So, um, I've known you, Gisella, all of five minutes. And I'm in absolute awe and admiration of your accomplishments to date. I get the feeling you're not even halfway there doing the things you feel you need to do. However, I'm very glad to have you here on Headstalk not least because of all the things you're currently doing. And um, so, um, you know, a, a part of me believed, I, I should have just continued to go down a list of all your accomplishments rather than ask you questions. But I suspect my listeners would rather hear you talk. So, so the idea was squashed after a minute, it came up. Okay, I, I was really overwhelmed with um, the the information I had on you. And it was a case of what, which, which one was the best to talk about. Um, you're a really busy person. and and I hope I can capture well some of the work you do, some of the great work you do in this episode of Headstalk. So, so once again, great to have you here. And let's get into my, um, my first question. Some of my listeners are not familiar with your story. So tell us a bit about Gisela. Additionally, um, you have a very interesting story to tell about how you got into the health sector and then science. So please tell us your story, Gisela.
1: Thank you, Elaine. It's really interesting. My interest in health got piqued when I was working gosh, long ago, a couple of decades ago in local government, Mm -hmm. where I was developing and doing analysis for mental health statistics. Mm -hmm. And I realized that over 90% of the people who ended up in mental institutions or needed care because of mental health conditions stemmed from their childhood, the problems um, they had. So that tweaked my interest, but what really made me actually decide to go into the health sector with no training or background in health was when I fell ill. I first of all was involved in a car accident and the doctor said, you can't walk again without crutches. And so my family and I took, you know, my family took me to so many places. I got treatment. I finally got better and I can walk without crutches. Then... I also fell ill again and I was diagnosed with endometriosis. So, endometriosis is a condition that um, tissues, which, which um, are a bit like the tissues that lie in the womb, grow in other parts of your body. And a lot of women between ages 20 to 40 have it. I was unfortunate that it blocked my kidney. So, one of my kidneys got damaged and it had to be removed. But the NHS, the National Health Service, were not able to diagnose it. It was diagnosed privately. And if I hadn't gone private, it would have been terrible. I'd have ended up losing both kidneys because it had infected my body. So it was at that time with all that happening, I said, you know what? I need to become a health advocate. Because if my family couldn't have taken me privately in both instances, Mm -hmm. I don't know where I would have been despite the fact that we had a brilliant national health service. Mm -hmm. So that made me decide to work for health development agency as a business advisor, where I helped to develop the impact report for the Department of Health. It then merged with the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence, is now Care Excellence, called NICE. And I helped set up the Center for Public Health Excellence. And it was really interesting there because our very first guidance that we developed was to support the legislation to ban smoking in public places. And I was very passionate about it because I learned that even if you don't smoke and you inhale smoke, third hand, you can get lung cancer. So for me, what I'd been through, I felt that, I needed to help others to be able to diagnose, to be able to be diagnosed early from diseases. So from NICE was when I joined G Healthcare um, as the first head of government affairs and policy in UK and Ireland, and really, the technologies that G developed really supported early diagnosis. So that was my mission, Mm -hmm. to see how I could use the technologies to work with the government in UK initially before worldwide, to really focus on disease areas and ensure that early diagnosis becomes important. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's exactly what I did. I then ended up working um, globally, as made a global executive director, where I worked to the World Health Organization, UN, did so many initiatives. Started writing white papers because I really wanted to understand mm-hmm. how I could help, and the big focus was really on ensuring that our technologies and solutions were available and accessible in developing markets as well. Mm-hmm. So early diagnosis became my mantra. Um, you know, everyone said, "Oh, Gisela, said, what What do you do?" And I said, I work with an organization that is focused on early diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's that's my story. And through that, obviously, because I had to develop evidence-based papers to Mm -hmm. work with the government and show that the new innovations and technologies Mm -hmm. were critical. That's where the life sciences and my science and interest in science Mm -hmm. came about. And it was really interesting looking at it. I didn't like science in school at all. (laughs) And I didn't ever think that I could even become you know, like chair of British Science Association. But it's because I've come at it from a point of need and the fact that science actually helps us to make important decisions. Science brings innovation, science breaks barriers, science brings cures and treatments. And so that's why I've gotten into that. So it's really stemming from my personal experience that really got me into this area.
0: Oh, that's, that's very, very interesting. And I think some of the, the organizations that you've mentioned um, would probably like to put a link in your episode description to them, if you don't mind, And um, once yes. we've completed this. And I think a lot of people would like to find out more about what you've just talked about and especially some of the organizations you've mentioned. So thank you for that. Um, At the beginning of this episode i mentioned that um you've been at the forefront of business growth and in fact initiated over one billion pounds in new commercial opportunities where did you do that and how did you do that
1: so i did that at g healthcare Mm -hmm. and how yes and how i did it was really interesting because as i said g manufactures medical technology so we have ct for example mr ultrasound Mm -hmm. and they were selling them, at, you know, obviously, that's the important thing. You're selling it that way. But coming in as government affairs and policy, to be able to speak to governments and help them with their priorities, to be able to work with hospital and ensure that they understand how our technologies and solutions could help them, I said, we have to present a portfolio in a way that is important to the government, which is by diseases. So, the government are interested in the care pathway for cancer, for stroke, for heart disease, diabetes. Absolutely. So, the MRSCT is about how can it help us achieve our objectives of saving lives for stroke, for heart disease. And it was interesting. So, I had to spend a lot of time doing my own research speaking to doctors, speaking to people internally, understand our different technologies and solutions. And one immediate area that I realized that we hadn't utilized as a company was stroke. So yeah. we had all the different technologies for diagnosis of stroke, but we, we hadn't positioned or packaged it, for example, as stroke. So I worked with the marketing team to do that and develop offering around that. We engaged with the Department of Health. We started working closely with the Stroke Association. And in fact, we actually won an award for stroke as a result of that. And by that, we even developed our clinical training for stroke professionals. And through that, it opened up a lot more opportunities for us for growth, because the hospitals were buying our stroke solutions rather than us going individually saying, oh, we're selling an MR or CT. So it brought us together and that's what we did. We formed teams around the diseases and sold that as solutions to some Mm -hmm. of our customers. So that was really how I was able to create all those opportunities around the different diseases from cancer to stroke to Mm -hmm. maternal, newborn and child health as well. And that's why I also wrote the white papers, because understanding their needs, the white papers then helps to talk about the issues, the problems and the kind of solutions that we could provide, really targeted and focused.
0: Mm -hmm. Is there one place that we can actually find these white papers so I can put put a link there in case people want to read them?
1: So the white papers, because I wrote them over the course of GE, and a couple of them when I was an apt associate there, and most of them are, how should I say, copyright of GE. But they, I can give you a link where you can find quite a lot of them, which is on the GE Healthcare website. Yes, um, yes under the public affairs. Yeah, okay. we, you can get quite a number of them. So I can give you some links to some of them.
0: And that's fine. Because, you know, I, I think what will happen is listeners will listen to this and they will say, "Okay, I want to read a few of your her work." White- yes. White- yes. White- yes. Okay, let's move on. Um, you are a global goodwill ambassador. Congratulations! Our first on Thank the you. Let's Talk podcast. How did that come about? What are you achieving or planning to achieve?
1: I know. The Global Goodwill Ambassadors is just so good. And, you know, I, you know, because of my passion for health and making a difference, it's been an honour to be part of this group where we have professionals from all walks of life Mm -hmm. who have come together really to improve the world, to help mankind through humanitarian causes. So there are lots of things that we do around helping the poor, Um, really helping you know people to be kinder to each other to show care and love and I think it's such a good organization in terms of bringing that because we need that in the world currently what we're working on which I'm just part of at the moment is developing a free mental health course for people where people can read and learn about how they can improve their mental health when they are down or mm-hmm. they, are, they feel a bit low, it will give them some new ideas about how they can develop new goals, how they can become more positive. And we're launching that in January. Mm-hmm. So I'm really proud and honoured to be one of the Global Goodwill Ambassadors. All
0: right, that, that sounds interesting. What would it be? Would it be a, a course? Would
1: it be... Yes.
0: Right. Yes,
1: it will be a course and it will be open to anyone. And at the end of it, you get a certificate. We're giving people tasks to do along the line. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. It's in different parts. And after each part, you have a little assessment, Not, not in terms of trying to see how good you are, but just to help you so that you have basic steps that you can take to improve your mental health so Mm -hmm. there are steps from goal setting to Mm -hmm. how to improve self-belief even i have issues with self-belief for years i didn't think that's good enough and you find it hard to believe but that's (laughs) the truth okay all right um there's a couple of questions
0: quick fire questions um that i want to ask you these are the questions what does this mean? So let me just start. The first one is, as mentioned in the introduction, you are in the the Female FTSE Board Report 2020. Can you tell my listeners what that is all about?
1: Yeah, so Cranfield University um, developed this FTSE Female Board every year. I think they've been doing it since 2009. And it's to highlight the 100 women who they think should be on FTSE 350 boards. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why they are doing this is because there are not enough women on boards worldwide. You know, there's still the gender issue of women being in very senior positions. Mm -hmm. So they use it to showcase women who have done well in their field and should be considered for different boards. Mm -hmm. And since I was on, since I got on that, I have been contacted by a number of headhunters about you know setting boards as well so all those are under consideration so it's really useful for women and i think it's an encouragement Uh that crownfield have done to really help highlight and promote women globally Uh
0: all right okay and the second one is um, you recently spoke at the women economic forum bangalore what was the theme of the event and, and
1: what did you talk about there the theme was digital how to go digital and how digital really helps us globally. Mm -hmm. And I spoke on courage to soar. So, you know, the world is interconnected. We're more interrelated and connected because of digital. So how can we use that to grow our businesses? How can we use that to grow as a leader? how can we use that to influence globally and work with others globally so my courage to saw was what steps people need to take to be able to promote themselves to be able to become a better leader to be able to build partnerships that make a difference through the digital world all right okay
0: no one can argue that you are without a doubt a go-getter um, what's coming across to me is that you're tenacious, you're relentless, um, extremely diligent. The work you do is a testament to that. I was wondering what spurs you on and how can young girls bottle this and apply it as and when needed?
1: Yes, really interesting question. I would say it's for... Me and I will also say for young girls, because I speak to a lot of students, I'm a speaker for school, and I speak to a lot of young people. It's being able to find a purpose in life, and once you have a purpose, it fuels your passion to want to make a difference in that area of field so for me in the case I talked about what happened to me in health that's made that's become my purpose about improving the lives of people and that's made me passionate about making that difference Mm -hmm. and I think it's important for young girls to try different things if they are not sure explore and just take each step as it comes and each career or each thing you do you learn from it and it helps you the other thing i also say and suggest is that people do some kind of volunteer work which is either you know doing giving or doing some charitable work because the reason why it really helps you to be happy. There's a a study that has been done, I think which has been done by Harvard University, the longest running study on happiness. And funny enough, most people, young people, think that if you make a lot of money, you know, in a career or profession, that will sustain happiness. This study says what sustains happiness is apart from having good family and close relations and close friends, The other area is being able to give in terms of volunteering, giving your time, helping people. It makes people happy. So I say to people that whilst you're trying to pursue your career, to do well, to succeed, have something that you do that you're giving to people. You see that balance actually spares you on and makes you want to do a lot more. I do a lot, I'm on a lot of advisory boards where I am just helping, I'm not paid for, I love doing it and I enjoy doing things like that mm-hmm. and it gives me that balances and spares me on to do more in my career as well. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's
0: quite a bit for them to look at with this answer. Many thanks for that um, Gisela. They need to be bold, they shouldn't, be fe- they shouldn't fear failure, they should get up and get on with it. They perhaps should volunteer some of their services as you say and work in probably a charitable environment and um, that sort of thing they, they should look into doing so no, that, that, that's, that's quite good um, let's change direction a little um, you touched upon it um, in the previous question and so there's a lot of talk uh, and manoeuvres in all walks of life with regards to digital transformation. It appears that it is at the heart of culture and society. You chair the British Science Association? which you state its goal is to be at the heart of culture and society. How are you doing this? And how does this link with the the whole digital transformation drive, not just in the UK, but across the globe?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. It is definitely one of our missions. What we focused on a lot is we host the British Science Festival, where it brings people across all works of life together. We host the British um, Science Week, but I think one of the key areas or one of the key programs that we do that really fits into the digital transformation is the Crest Awards. Mm-hmm. A Crest Awards is a, is a award where we have um, children and students between age 5 to 19 are inspired to act as scientists or engineers. So they do a number of of tasks where they can explore, imagine, and develop right. using uh-huh. science, technology, engineering, or mathematics skills. And that helps a lot of them to get a, gain an interest and want to work in that field in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, that is, thats that we're working with, obviously, primary and secondary schools. That is an area that we've had discussions with other countries as well, where we feel that, through the digital platform, students and children across the world could benefit from this program because it's an award scheme, a bit like the Duke of Edinburgh, where you have bronze, silver and gold, and it's a global, as you know, Duke of Edinburgh award is global, it's in so many countries. And so that's our aspiration to use that kind of platform to get more students and more children interested in STEM, because we think STEM is the future. There's a lot that can be done in terms of developing new technologies, new solutions, mm-hmm. um, and it's a great area. So that's why, and a lot of people, because of the way um, STEM is taught in schools, and I don't want to be bashing the education sector, mm-hmm. but it's quite, a lot of people find it quite boring. And so even some students and children who have their capability don't always go with go forward in terms of studying it so this on what makes them explore and find it interesting and develop skills for them to realize that actually in the real world once they finish school there's an opportunity for them to do different things with STEM. They can research, find new drugs, new treatments. They can help, you know, build new engines. You know, the world is their oyster in relation to that. And so, yes, so that's where we are. I would love at some stage to see whether, you know, the curricula could be changed to be more interesting for people to really want to study STEM. But that's another discussion (laughs) that's another podcast (laughs) yes indeed (laughs) okay
0: um you've worked in many collaborations with governments and that's plural the world health organization the united nations the world bank and other multilateral organizations to improve health outcomes for people across the world what collaborations do you think should take place right now to combat this pandemic, domestic collaborations and
1: international ones, if you can. Indeed. I 100% think now, because of the health pandemic being a systemic issue, we need collaborations outside the health sector. We need collaborations with the financial institutions, Mm -hmm. with um, different sectors, whether it's oil and gas, energy, small businesses, you know, all different sectors. And the reason why it's important to understand how the impact of that pandemic is affecting the different groupings. There's a focus globally on counting the number of people who have died or counting the number of people who have gotten the virus. Mm-hmm. But there hasn't been a focus on the other side, even the number of diseases that are not being diagnosed because this pandemic is ongoing. the number of people who've lost their jobs I know it's, it's touched on, but really it's, it's it's not being discussed in terms of solutions on the, in a big scale. Mm-hmm. The number of people who've lost their homes the number of people who've been affected through domestic violence so what I'm saying is that we need to have a cost-benefit analysis of this pandemic and we need all players on the table to say how can we ensure that all these things are tackled I think in UK and US they've done quite well in terms of putting economic packages together to try and get people to work but it's a challenge as well and because it's a pressure even where governments are trying to open up and not have lockdown Mm -hmm. so that there's a balance so people can actually work and get food to eat and pay their bills. There's a outcry in some cases saying that they're going to kill people, but no one is looking at how many people are hungry who are becoming homeless, who are losing their homes, who've lost their jobs, Mm -hmm. which is also important as well, because if you are living, and you have nothing, are you really living? Mm. I'm and prepared. so, for me, those collaborations are so key. Financial institutions, especially because they're the bedrock of society in terms of pushing what kind of financial initiatives would be needed. Mm-hmm. Right,
0: okay, we're going to change direction again. Okay, for this question to be effective, you have to abide by the rules, Gisela. So I'm forewarning you. Um, you have leadership skills. You're very creative, tenacious, have expertise in the health sector, and many, many more skills. If you had to pick one skill set and only one, that's what I mean about abiding by the rules. None of this, all are important. If it's one skill set that you must have in the next 10 years, which one and why? You put me on the
1: spot there. The rules. (laughs) I normally normally always sneak in more than one. I know. I know. That's why. I I know. (laughs) Yes. So, well, if I had to choose one, I would choose creative. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'll say creative, creative, because it helps you to think outside the box. It helps you to think about new innovations and solutions. It helps you to think differently. So, for example, I'll use an example, we are still in an era where, unfortunately, people go for interviews, even for jobs, and they have set answers they want to hear. Mm-hmm. So if your answers don't fit in or conform to what they are, they want to mm-hmm. hear, you don't get a job. But we need to go beyond and think creatively. That actually, I prefer to hear from people who don't have the straightforward answers. Their answers are different. Mm-hmm. Those tweak my interest because they are the ones who are the change makers. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who don't care what people say and will plod until they make a difference. Mm-hmm. I have been told so many times that I am out of the box in the way I think or out of the box in my ideas. But I've worked for, uh, luckily, I've had the opportunity to work for organizations who embraced that and allowed me to do things differently, which brought results at the end of the day. And this is really about diversity of thought. So, creativity, I would say, is important. It embraces the difference, it embraces the challenge, it embraces the transition into doing things differently.
0: Right. Okay. I, 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 must admit, I love that answer. I, I would agree with you on that. I, I really do like that answer. But as a as side to that question, which one do you think you would have picked if this question was posed 10 years ago? So you, you have to take um, yourself on a journey back and, and remember what you were like 10 years or so ago. What would have been selected what would have been the skill set that would have been selected, that you believed
1: necessary for you back then? I think I would still go with the same answer. Still. I still are, would. Are you
0: thinking like you're thinking today as opposed to how you were thinking 10
1: years ago? Yes, maybe if you had said 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I should have said 20 that years. That might have been. <laughs> if it was a, it if makes me sound 20 years, if the
0: question was 20 years. Okay, thank you for throwing that one in, Gisela. If the question was 20 years, what, you, what, what would you be picked?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I guess, oh, gosh. I think it will be resilience. All right. Yes, yes. Being able to bounce back from all the shocks and challenges, you know. And the reason why it didn't happen 10 years, because 10 years ago, I had a better network. I had a mentor. I had people, you know, so creativity was still the thing Mm -hmm. that i would say Because 20 years ago, more vulnerable, younger, and just resilience would have helped a lot then you know, being able to sort of deal with the knocks and bounce back. Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: now that that, that makes a lot of sense if you look at your story and look at your history, so that's good. Now, um, I'd I'd like to end on this question. Um, All through your life, there is a theme of you wanting to do more and strive to have things done better. You even state that your passion is about making a difference in people's lives. An admirable passion um what would make a difference right now for you you know pretty detailed and lived life today this
1: is for Gisela no one else what would make a difference for you you know it's interesting what would make a difference for me is a number of things that I feel strongly about one of them is um looking at Um, what what should I say? One of them is about health being a priority in every given country in the world. I really feel strongly about the fact that every single government needs to prioritize health and make health accessible, have the financing for health in every country. For me, that would be great. So I'd love to be part of you know, a working group that can actually work with governments to achieve that Mm -hmm. beyond the WHO. I would love to be part of that. The second thing that is really interesting for me, and this is going to my interest in helping the mental and physical health of young people. I would love every five-year-old to 16-year-old to be able to have access to physical education every single day in school and that's currently not possible in most schools around the world because it would help their physical health their mental health it would set them up for life Mm. and it would help reduce some of their diseases they may have in the future and then my third one is a call out really to the billionaires who put together this giving, where bill gates actually started it is great these billionaires have said we will give a percentage of their fortune, you know, to different charities. I would love them to focus on helping the poor and working to develop initiatives that actually get people out of poverty mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. So those are my three big acts. If I could be involved in things like that, that would be a dream come true for me. Oh. Thank you for that. Thank you for the answer. I mean, that's given us a
0: lot to think about. Um, I'd just like to additionally ask, especially with the first one, um, health being a priority across the globe. Do you think digitalization is expediting that? Do you think it's making it come sooner? Is it going to be less of a wish and more of a, a reality?
1: I think it is. I think, I think because of the pandemic and the new normal mm-hmm. has made digital become a priority, everyone is having to access technologies, I think it is making a difference. I had to, for example, I had to speak at a, at an event, which is not an area that I know about, about sustainability in the events and leisure industry, where they, you know, like for wedding planners, um, beauticians, fashion group, and it was really interesting you know i gave them ideas and talked about how they could actually become more digital even doing makeup classes you know through zoom and things like that you know organizing it so everyone realizes that they actually need to become more digital Mm -hmm. and i think for health i think that will help the problem is there's too much information out there and i think it's how and what people should be assessing, and that's where science comes in. How can we ensure that people access more evidence-based, you know, solutions so that they don't get the wrong advice and get the wrong information? And I think that's really important.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, this is my first um, episode with you, but somehow I don't think it's going to be the last. And um, I would look forward to, in the future, talking with you again, Giselle Abbott. It's been a pleasure many thanks for your time and insight
1: thank you so much Elaine it's such a pleasure thank you. thank
0: you thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website elainepringle.com forward slash headstalk or wherever you get your podcasts finally I'd like to thank our sponsors guests and you for helping to make the show possible please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives decision makers and heads of multinationals
1: Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.